Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. The CCP leadership considers this to be the most challenging period of its rule. In the eyes of the party leaders, potential threats to regime security await behind every corner, and all matters are, therefore, seen through the prism of national security. This behavior is no longer limited to the domestic sphere, but has expanded to the international stage. To discuss how this new paradigm has changed China's international behavior, I'm joined by Helena Legarda. She's a senior analyst at Merix and an expert on China's foreign and security policies. Helena has analyzed CCP's securitization of international relations in a chapter for the new Merix report on China's Communist Party. Welcome, Helena. Thank you, Johannes. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Could you explain what the term national security means for the Communist Party today? Um, absolutely. That's a very good question. What we see in China today is that national security in the sort of traditional sense of the word, how it's often defined in Europe or in the United States, is not exactly what the CCP means. So the concept has been expanded. Xi Jinping introduced a, a new concept, a new kind of um, view of national security in 2014. And this concept is called comprehensive national security. And the idea is that this new concept, this new framework encompasses almost every policy field and strand. So it's an attempt to bring together different, again, policy fields, different departments under an overarching framework of national security that moves beyond the traditional concept. Uh, and the goal here is to help the party and allow the party to tackle threats to China and to the stability of the regime that flow from China's growing integration in and exposure to the outside world. So as uh, you mentioned in your introduction, we're moving from a very domestic uh, view of national security, which encompasses, again, as, as it's often the case in the West, political security and territorial security and, and military security. We're moving to a much broader uh, concept that brings together loads of different policy strands. And an important issue here as well, the underlying logic behind this new outlook as well, is that this concept integrates the issues of development and economic development and security. As the party has said, development is the basis for security and security is the condition for development. So the, this new expanded concept of national security has become a very central element in the party's strategy to maintain China's economic growth and continued development and in turn to preserve the, the legitimacy of the CCP and therefore the, the stability of the regime. You just said that it has become much more international. Um, how does the CCP's approach to national security materialize in, in China's relation with other countries? Mm -hmm. So under this new model um, that I mentioned, it, it encompasses loads of different policy strands. Officially, the concept of comprehensive national security right now encompasses 16 types of security, although the number um, grows regularly, so it continues to expand. 
And beyond the traditional security areas that I mentioned earlier, it also includes issues such as cultural security, scientific security, the security of China's overseas interests, etc. So as you can see, it's a very broad concept that has very clear international components. And under this new model, what's important to keep in mind is that the passive defense of China's national security is no longer seen as enough by the party. There are too many developments in the international sphere that might turn into existential threats for the party if they are left unmanaged or kind of out of control. So the party has decided to move towards a model under which it has to more proactively uh, shape the international environment to make it safer for the CCP in the long run. This comes because the party sees this as a, as a fairly dangerous moment for China. As you also mentioned, um, the party has spent the last few years, decades, rapidly expanding its domestic mechanisms of, of control, but the international environment remains a challenge. As uh, the 14th Five-Year Plan notes, um, China's development environment is facing profound and complex changes. So it, it's quite clear that they see this as a fraught moment. So they are moving towards a much more proactive approach to national security which involves a number of things. It involves the party taking uh, fairly forceful, even aggressive, preemptive, uh, occasionally preventive action against any perceived threats to its rule and the stability of the system. The party is also increasingly pursuing the extraterritorial application of Chinese laws. And the CCP is also trying to enforce red lines that were formerly quite limited to the domestic sphere, they are now trying to enforce them overseas. So effectively, with this new paradigm, all matters, domestic or international, are seen or can be seen through a security prism. So the party may take any perceived slight or attack against China's citizens, companies, overseas interests, or even its image in the world as an attack against the national security of China as an attack against uh, China's and the party's own bottom line, which warrants a much more aggressive response. So what we're seeing, the, the logical consequence of this, is much more aggressive behavior internationally. And we're seeing a lot more reactions to policies, behavior statements overseas that are, again, fairly strong. Um, of the type that normally in the past we would have expected in sensitive domestic issues, such as um, anything related to opposition to the party in Xinjiang or Tibet, calls for independence on Taiwan. So any of sort of those core interests. And those reactions are now becoming increasingly common on the international stage as well. You just mentioned that there's a growing trend of China to apply Chinese laws beyond its borders. Could you go into a little bit more detail about that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this issue of extraterritoriality is one that stems from this view by the party that I described earlier that controlling threats to the party inside China's borders is no longer enough. Uh, the international environment is in flux. Um, there's a lot of developments that could be a threat to the party, so they also have to be tackled. So that's where the, this concept of extraterritoriality comes from. China is trying to control what is going on overseas. And this is not exactly a new phenomenon. I think it was already in early 
2020, the Minister of Justice of, of China already announced at an event that China planned to improve the standards and procedures for the extraterritorial application of Chinese laws uh, and enhance the international influence of China's judicial practice. So this has been announced quite clearly. The objective, as I said, is to tackle those external threats. And one of the first and clearest examples that we've seen are the extraterritorial clauses in the national security law for Hong Kong that was recently passed. Uh, that law, again, has a couple of extraterritorial clauses that make effectively acting against China's national security or supporting anyone who is seen as a threat to China's national security, these clauses make it a crime worldwide, regardless of the nationality of the person who is being accused, effectively. And we've already seen some application of this. Uh, there was one case of a national of Belize who was arrested in southern China and then was um, accused of providing support to anti-China elements in the United States that then operated in Hong Kong. Uh, so again, that's a very mm -hmm. clear case of, of extraterritorial application of Chinese laws. This is behavior that went on in the United States, not within China's borders, but China is still legislating to be able to control that. Um, in another example of extraterritoriality that maybe isn't as related to, to extraterritorial application of laws, but it's still sort of the long arm of, of the Chinese state, um, we can look at the exchange of sanctions between the EU, the UK, Canada, United States, and China that took place in, in late March. Um, I mean, China's counter sanctions, which hit not just politicians, but also researchers and, and academics and think tanks, etc. That is, again, an attempt by the CCP, an attempt by the Chinese authorities to control narratives overseas, to impose penalties on those that it considers have damaged or threatened China's national security. And that's also how these sanctions were framed, among other issues. So you can see that this concept of, of national security, of comprehensive national security, plays a very important role in defining or at least influencing how the party behaves internationally nowadays. If we look ahead, um, taking into consideration all the, the different strains of national security and, and Chinese engagement that you just described, what do other countries need to be prepared for in the near future? Um, that's a great question, and one that is difficult to say, of course, uh, for sure, because these things are still very much in flux, even within China. Uh, but I'll make a, a couple of points. I think, first of all, other countries and governments elsewhere in Europe, but also around the world, must be prepared to deal with the Chinese leadership and with the CCP that will respond very forcefully to any perceived criticism or attack against its interest, because that will be seen as an attack against China's national security and therefore China's development and therefore the survival of the system. So that's kind of the logical chain. And they must be prepared to deal with the Chinese leadership that is going to remain ready to escalate any conflicts or points of friction if matters of national security are concerned. 
And this is likely to be the case regardless of the impact that such a reaction from China will have on bilateral ties. National security is the absolute priority. So China will respond very forcefully if it feels that its national security, again, its comprehensive national security, is being attacked, regardless of the consequences with limits. We can think in this context, for example, about, again, China's sanctions against the European Union and in particular against members of the European Parliament and the impact that had on EU-China relations and on the likelihood that the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment will be ratified in Europe. So the trade-off, the cost-benefit analysis in China's size has changed a little bit. Uh, National security comes out on top. Um, Secondly, I think foreign companies, especially those with a presence in China, but not exclusively, are also likely to find themselves increasingly caught between the party's demands that they respect China's red lines, not only inside China, but also elsewhere. So they're going to be caught between this and then between their own home country's values and interests. So this clash, I think, is going to be increasingly relevant for a lot of foreign companies, again, that have a presence in China, but also overseas. And finally, another point that I would like to make is that I think that this expansion of um, China's extraterritorial application of its laws is also likely to change the risk calculations of both companies and individuals that are considering traveling to China. Um, Again, with extraterritorial application of Chinese laws, as in the case I mentioned earlier, you could be accused in China, in a Chinese court, of something that took place somewhere else in the world. If that is seen, if your behavior is seen as a potential threat to China's national security, and given the expansiveness of this new concept of comprehensive national security, the risks, of course, have multiplied. Well, thank you for your insights, Helena. Thank you very much, Johannes. Thanks for having me, and and thank you for for the questions. This is a very interesting topic that it's still in development, so something that we will have to uh, keep an eye on going forward. You can read Helena's chapter on the CCP Securitization of International Relations in our Numerics report, and it will be uh, posted on our website. Thank you very much for listening, and have a good day. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.